0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you conform our hearts and minds and bodies that we would learn to be living sacrifices offered as pleasing offerings to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There's a part of the communion liturgy that every time I get to it, there's a little part of me that wants to pause and stop and make a little explanation of exactly what we're praying there. And I want to be like, do you understand what is going on in this moment? But if I'm honest, I probably need to be shaken more than anybody else, to be reminded that this is what the Lord has called us to. <clears throat> As we reach the end of the, uh, of the consecration prayer, we get to a point where I pray for you and myself that we would offer and present ourselves unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a holy a reasonable holy and living sacrifice unto thee. That is here we pray that we offer and present ourselves unto thee O Lord, ourselves our souls and bodies to be a reasonable holy and living sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever paused and thought about that little phrase. But it's really an amazing prayer that we would pray that ourselves would be offered to the Lord in all we do. Sometime in the Middle Ages, this understanding of Holy Communion shifted away of God, from God acting towards us to us doing something to the Lord. And it came to a point where they started to believe that they were re-offering the sacrifice on the cross. And Cramner and the other reformers sought to correct this error in understanding of what is going on during the Divine Liturgy. And there's that phrase earlier on in the Liturgy where we remember the sacrifice that Christ once offered for us. But Cramner recognizes that there is a sacrifice made in the Liturgy, but it's not the sacrifice that was once offered. It's not the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross, it's the sacrifice of ourselves, giving ourselves to God that we would be bound together with Christ, that we would be bound to him. And so in this addition to the liturgy, this prayer that we offer and present unto thee, unto the Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies, to be a wholly reasonable and living sacrifice checks ourselves against a false understanding, but it reminds ourselves who we are to offer ourselves unto. As we go to the communion table, as we go to the Lord's table, it is that right response because God approaches us and in that we say take us and make us yours. This phrase is taken from Romans 12.1, where St. Paul tells the Roman Christians, he writes them and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. <clears throat> this, this little statement is theologically packed and is important for our walking with the Lord. If I were to come up to you after church and say, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? You would re- respond with, oh, we're going to go grocery shopping and then we're going to go home and we're going to have an early dinner and try and get to bed by nine so we wake up refreshed. Or perhaps you'll say, well, we're going to try and catch the football games and enjoy some delicious wings. But St. James warns us against living by our own will. Not that it's bad to have plans. It is, not, it is in fact, a good thing, and we can use those plans to glorify the Lord. But we don't know what's going to happen a minute from now. Not to mention this afternoon or tomorrow or in a week. And so St. James warns us that when we say, well, tomorrow I'm going to go to this city and I'm going to do this or that, to say that we do that by the Lord's will. This is the same way that we offer ourselves as sacrifices to the Lord, that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We do this not by our will, but because he has willed it, and in his mercy. In his mercy, St. Paul tells us, to present our bodies. The prayer book makes a commentary on that second, second caveat of this statement. Present your bodies. The prayer book goes on to say, present our bodies, our souls, and our bodies. In other words, they want to be sure that you and I understand that we present our whole selves. Every ounce of our being, our inner being, our heart and mind and spirit, we present unto the Lord. And this begs the question, What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time doing? What do you love? Do you love the Lord first and foremost? Do you spend your time watching an inordinate amount of TV, getting consumed by the news, finding yourselves enraged by the world? Or do you spend your time reading Scripture, Delighting in the Lord's goodness, even in the midst of the chaos of this world. What do you love? But not only do we offer our inner selves, we offer our whole body, our physical body. We offer it to the service of the Lord. We're not meant to split ourselves into the spiritual and the physical and so on and so forth. And in fact, if we do that, we fall into an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. And this idea of Gnosticism started to pop up even in St. Paul's time. And I said, well, the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. So care for your spiritual selves and don't care what you do to your body. And Paul and the the early church fathers, all responded, no. Physical is good because God created material. We are created. You and I are created in the image and likeness of God. That means that flesh that you can touch is something good that the Lord has created. Use it to the glory of God. Your whole self matters. And he calls, calls us, because we are in Christ, to offer our whole selves to him. Now, I'm not sure how much you know about temple sacrifices and that early system of appealing to the Lord, But some of the sacrifices were grain offerings and those types of things. But a lot of them were offerings of different animals for different things. And in order to offer an animal in a sacrifice, you probably all know what you have to do. You have to kill it. It no longer lives. And they drain the blood out, so it takes out what they understood to be the very life source of it. The sacrifice ceased to live, but appeased God. It offered itself to God. It told God, I will be obedient in this thing. But St. Paul doesn't call us to make dead sacrifices. He calls us to make living sacrifices. Because you and I have been buried with Christ, Because you and I have been put to death in Christ, we are raised to new life just as Christ is raised to new life. And so our lives are meant to be sacrifices sacrifices that are not dead, but that are alive. As many of you know, I have some odd eating habits. I don't think they're actually all that odd, but people tell me I'm picky. But that's not what I think is the most odd part. There are certain types of food that I really like. So if I'm eating pizza, I'll eat the crust first, because as we all know, cheese is the best food in creation. (laughs) Or if I eat cake, I'll save the best part for last, And here I'm going to make an inside joke. It's the frosting, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. (laughs) But I save the parts that I find the most delight in for last. Because I think they're the best. And I set them aside until I'm ready to eat them. And then I'm ready, and I'm like, this is amazing. And it's worth that saving. This is a really crude analogy to help us understand holiness. God sets us aside. God has made us holy in Christ. I set aside my favorite little parts, and it's not that you're somehow more favored than somebody else, but it is that God has set you aside so that he can delight in you, so that you are set aside for a purpose so that you are taken out of the death and mire of this world that you can live to god's glory and that brings us to the next point in this little part you know when you walk down the street i talked about one of the bakeries downtown that is kind of notorious for this and you walk by and you smell the bread wafting out, or you walk by a barbecue place, and I know some people don't like barbecue. I won't be quite as mean about barbecue as I was about frosting. <laughs> but you smell it, and you're like, oh, that smells so good. Or your spouse has spent hours cooking your favorite meal, and as they open the oven, or even a little before, you smell it kind of wafting through the house. And it's this pleasing smell, and you're excited to eat that lasagna, or that bread, or that pulled pork. God calls us, in this passage, to be an acceptable offering. But it's not so much acceptable, it's more of this meaning of pleasing. That when we offer ourselves, our souls, and bodies, this is a pleasing offering to God. And so often this idea of pleasing has to do with this order, ar- aroma of smell. Twice in Leviticus 3, as God explains to Moses the sacrifices that Israel is to make, he describes these sacrifices as pleasing aromas to the Lord. In Revelation, the prayers of the saints, that is, your prayers and my prayers, are described as being put in a bowl like incense and then lit, and they go up to God and he smells them. Our living sacrifice to the Lord is acceptable, but it's not only acceptable, it's pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing like that smell we smell, and it delights our hearts. And then St. Paul finishes this little sentence, with, which is your spiritual or reasonable sacrifice. Here's one place where I don't love how the ESV translates it, but there's a reason that they do, which I'll explain momentarily. But if you go back to, say, the King James Version, it echoes that with what we, with what we have in the prayer book which is that our lives are a reasonable worship when we offer them as sacrifices to the Lord. And there's kind of a duality of understanding. The word here almost definitely means something along the lines of rational. It makes sense that because we are in Christ, our offering to Christ and the Lord, our offering to God the Father, should be our whole lives makes sense does it not but it is a spiritual offering and it has it's a metaphorically understood there that it makes sense but in some sense we offer ourselves spiritually in service to the lord and it goes back to that duality that we can't simply delight in the physical and not care for the spiritual or delight in the spiritual and not care for the physical it is both and. Psalms 50 and 51 help us to kind of unpack this just a tiny bit more. In Psalm 50, the Lord tells the psalmist, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world in all its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of gobbles or drink The blood of goats? We rarely ever see. In fact, this is the only place I can think of where it even refers to the idea of God possibly eating. In no place in Scripture that I can think of do we get the sense that God gets hungry like you or I get hungry. And so why would we think that we must, must, must feed him as many of our idols demand to be fed the psalmist goes on quoting god says it offer to god a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me that is the lord in the day of your trouble and i will deliver you and you shall glorify me put Your hearts trust in the Lord. Not in physical things, but in the Lord, that he would do good. The psalm ends with, mark this then. You who forget God, lest I tear you apart and be none to deliver you. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Psalm 51 kind of echoes this, and it's interesting that they're put right next to each other. I don't think that's an accident. Psalm 51, you may know that backstory. David has done something awful. King David, perhaps the greatest king in Israel's history, outside of Christ, of course, did something terrible He slept with another man's wife. He got her pregnant. And then instead of saying, I sinned, I did this terrible thing, he murdered that man. More exactly, he sent him out to the front of battle where he knew he would die. But he did cause the man to be killed. And then his prophet Nathan came to him and told him a story about this man who has everything in the world and then he sees this shepherd and he has one sheep. And he decides he wants that sheep. So he does everything he can to, be, to get that sheep from that shepherd. And David becomes angry. He's like, how dare that man? I'm going to get him. And Nathan, this is a wonderful verse to misquote if you're ever bored, by the way. Nathan says to David, you're the man. And with that David's eyes were opened to his sin. With that, David pled to God and what he pled was Psalm 51, which I think many of us know very well. But it reminds us how easy it is to do outwardly the things that look really good. But that's not what God wants. The Psalm ends. For you, will not delight in sacrifices or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. In other words, we are called to repentance. We are called to an inward change We are called to do the things that delight God. Then, David writes, then you will delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Change inwardly and outward change will come. change spiritually change in your mind in the grace of christ by the gift of the holy spirit and your life work will follow the transformation that comes when we are in christ builds us to reflect his goodness in the world but why does any of this matter why should we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as St. Paul calls us to? We have to understand what's going on in the book of Romans up until this point. St. Paul has spelled out the gospel and is spelling out the gospel in one of the most elegant, eloquent and beautiful ways. He starts because it seems that the Roman Christians are at war with each other. The Jewish Christians are, hating, are thinking that they're somehow better than the Gentile Christians. And the Gentile Christians, who knows what's going on with them, but perhaps they also think that they're better than the Jewish Christians. And so they butt heads. And St. Paul says, no. Both of you are equally in need of salvation. Both of you are equally in need of Christ. And in that, you have been made equal. In the chapter immediately preceding this, he spells out the mystery of that salvation, of how God has called them and brought them in to his graces. And then as we reach the end, he does something interesting. He appeals to the book of Job, of all books, and he writes, kind of paraphrasing what Job says, or God says to Job, to be more exact. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? In other words, how can we repay God? Job is one of those books that I've kind of struggled with throughout my life, if I'm really honest. Job was a wealthy man and a godly man, and then God allowed Satan to take all of it away from him. And at the end, God reveals his glory. The central crux of the book of Job is that God is good and sovereign. We don't always see it. We don't always know it. But he is faithful and sovereign and good. And that's what Paul appeals to. You have been called because God is good and sovereign. And so on all your earthly things, whether you were a doctor or a paramedic, whether you were a CEO of a company or a janitor of that company, it doesn't matter because God called you. It's him who has made you his. And that's why you and I are equal. You and I are equal in God's grace. How amazing is that? Then St. Paul goes on and spells out what this looks like. How do we live in this way of being a living sacrifice unto God? He writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was convicted recently because of all the busyness that's been going on in our lives as we prepare for the baby to come that I wasn't exactly taking this call to Sabbath, to resting in the Lord seriously. That I just got so, so busy that I wouldn't even stop. And I was reminded that by doing that, I was saying at least inwardly subconsciously to myself, that maybe the Lord won't quite allow us to get ready. Maybe I can't trust the Lord that we would get through all of this. So the Lord said, no. You need to trust. You need to allow your mind to be renewed. You need to trust that I will provide all that you need, even in what seems like an incredibly chaotic situation. St. Paul goes on to also call us not only to that renewing of the mind, to trusting the Lord for all things, to call us to humility for the very reasons that we just discussed. And then towards the end of the chapter, he says, let your love be genuine and abhor what is evil. One example of this love being genuine is he calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, if you come up to me and you say, hey, I really liked what you did here, I should respond not only with thank you, but showing you even greater honor than you just showed me. We're called almost to a competitive honor showing. And imagine what our lives would look like if you showed me a little honor and I showed you more honor and you showed me more honor and so on and so forth until all of a sudden we were transformed to being people that continually loved each other beyond our wildest imagination. And on the opposite side of that, We should find evil repulsive. It should make us almost feel a little ill when we see it. We have that beautiful prayer in our prayer book. Where we pray here, we offer and present unto thee, O Lord. Ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. To be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice, unto thee may we learn to be reasonable living holy sacrifices to the lord that our whole lives would glorify him in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost